Hey there, Conquerors. Welcome to episode 94 of Conquering Columbus. Today on the show, we have Philip Payne, founder of Aportis. And Aportis is a health and wellness platform that Philip started about five years ago. Uh, even though he's still in the early stages of his entrepreneurial journey, I think he's got a lot of great advice and experiences to share, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Before we get to that interview, though, I want to ask you all for a quick favor. If you haven't already, pick up your phone and hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're listening on. It really helps support our show, and it'll make sure you never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. We also want to take a moment to thank some of our supporters. Conquering Columbus is brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. And for more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them, there's a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at GoFMX.com. Mike here again. Do you want to be a sponsor of Conquering Columbus? We are looking for some new supporters to help keep the show going in 2018. To inquire about how you can help support the podcast, please send an email to Mike at ConqueringColumbus.com. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. You can drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Uh, today on the show, our guest is Philip Payne. And Philip is the principal and founder over at Aportis, a technology company here in Columbus focused on disrupting the healthcare industry. Their goal is to provide real-time guidance on diet, exercise, medication, and more from your phone, laptop, or tablet when you need it. Before founding Aportis, Philip spent some time in varying roles in the marketing space, and he received his MBA from the Wharton School of Business. And welcome to Conquering Columbus, Phil. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Yeah, thanks for showing up. And uh, how's, your, how's your day going so far? Today has been a wonderful day. I mean, it's sunny, it's warm. You can tell spring is springing. So, uh, and had a lot of activity and, and I get the end of the day doing a podcast with you guys. Something that goes very much appreciated in Columbus, Ohio, because you go to other areas and they just don't understand, like they don't have the terrible winters, <laughs> but it makes you appreciate the spring and fall so much more. We are already starting to figure out where we're going to do some patio drinking, right? Right, exactly. I, I'm eyeing up a uh, Hofbrau house right <laughs> down the street go. here from, uh, from Conquering Columbus headquarters. But uh, <laughs> what does a typical day look like for you? 
Well, it's been uh, we're in a pretty exciting time over at Portis, and our, our new platform is launching as we speak. So I've been the project manager on it, and of the various roles that I am doing in sales and whatever, I'm also making sure that this thing lands correctly. And now we're starting to get our pilots all sorted out, and uh, here we go. So it's been nothing but a flurry of emails and phone calls and face-to-face. So before we dive too much into that, let's maybe start back at the beginning and talk a little bit about your childhood, upbringing, you know, yeah. path to um, making it to a place like Wharton and, and what that experience was like. Sure. Um, I grew up outside of Pittsburgh in a small town, Bethel Park. Bethel Park's now in the news because if you, anybody out there watching that This Is Us TV show, which I, I don't, it's actually set in Bethel Park, this little suburb. And uh, I'm a diehard Steeler fan, and uh, I gravitated towards uh, Cleveland for undergrad. I went, um, believe it or not, I was a music major. So I originally went to Baldwin Wallace uh, on the conservatory there. And after two years, I decided, you know what, I'm not really going to make any money when I get out of here. And I tried being a regular student for a bit, and I really enjoyed it. And Baldwin Wallace has a good business school. Uh, and I jumped in, and uh, it's been a spectacular run since. I moved down to Columbus uh, in 91. And it's been the best move I've ever made. What about, you know, siblings in there as you're growing up? Or what, mm-hmm. what drew you to music? I feel like it takes a very <laughs> unique... I, I, well, for one thing, I will say I think some of the most intelligent people I've sat down with have had backgrounds in, like, either English or music. Right. And I think it just does a lot to your brain when you learn how to play instruments at that level. Yeah, you know, well, you know, am, am I that intelligent? Who knows? But uh, thank you for the compliment. I'll, I'll take it. Um, I... Grew up in a family where music was around. My father, uh, he, had a, he had duality. He was spent his entire career at H.J. Hines, worked his way up, and he was um, very high up. He spent 41 years there and very much a businessman. But before he decided to go into business, he studied opera. He was a singer. And he was in New York City studying at Juilliard, and he got to be in the Met as a you know, choir. He was trying to work his way up. And he had some throat problems, and he decided then to go to Wharton and get his, finish up his uh, MBA. He got his MBA there and his uh, law degree. And so education was a big thing in our household. My mother went uh, Pitt undergrad and went to uh, Georgetown for grad school. And these were the first of both families that went to school. So. Uh, not only did they go to school, they just kept going to school. And um, I'll never catch up to either one of them. Uh, my mom, my dad spent, again, his entire career at Heinz. My mom, uh, right out of, right in Georgetown and right afterwards, uh, was in the CIA. So she was a uh, um, translator. So they paid for grad school, and then she worked some government jobs and some other things when she moved back to Pittsburgh. And then no siblings then? No siblings, I admit. So all the focus has been on me. Um, sadly, my, both of my parents have passed, um, but I have a great support structure with my family and, and my, the relatives that I do have back in Pittsburgh. And, and um, so it's been, a, it's been a great run. Yeah, so what, what brought you to Baldwin-Wallace? Why, why did you decide to go from Pittsburgh right. to Cleveland? Yeah, in the mid-'80s, it was a terrible decision to run it. You know, the Steelers were getting hammered by the Cleveland Browns at the time. So I took... Every weekend, all my friends just gave me you know, a lot of, um, a lot of stuff. They said that I wasn't going to swear. They have a very good music school, and 
but it wasn't my first choice. I had two other for choices, and being the only kid, the two choices were far from home. One was in Texas and one was in Florida, and my parents are like, no, 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 this is too far. So we circled back around, and then um, we chose, mutually chose Ball and Wallace um, through its reputation and, and the fact that they gave me a half ride is what it helped too. So. Um, and I really enjoyed it there, but I the winters in Cleveland are just so brutal that uh, when I got done from uh, college, I had to get out of Cleveland. <laughs> so you went way down south, <laughs> and Columbus, in Columbus yeah. all the way yeah. to Columbus, Ohio. Right. Oh, Why is at least four degrees warmer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my western progress hasn't gotten very far. I made it three hours west of Pittsburgh, or an hour and a half south of Cleveland. Um, I, my best friend in college uh, was getting his PhD at Ohio State in chemistry, and he had an opening in um, his townhouse. And after school in Cleveland, the jobs were, ugh, it still hasn't, it hadn't gone through its renaissance yet. And when I went to look back in Pittsburgh, same thing, it didn't, the, Pittsburgh hasn't transitioned to sort of where the, the software, um, I'm not gonna say mecca, that's probably too strong of a word, but they do have uh, a strong software installations there right now. And it, it was, wasn't there anything, there wasn't anything there for me. Uh, so I just took a flyer and I just moved down here and um, I bounced around with any basic business degree. You bounce around a little bit doing some jobs you don't want to do, but you got to do them. And big break came when I, um, got hired by a company called DPEC, D-P-E-C, and they, they actually, the name changed to Mind Leaders. It was Columbus success story. We ended up being the second largest e-learning company in the world, and I went from being creative director to the global marketing director. And uh, um, that, I stayed there for 15 years. So the loyalty, uh, I learned loyalty from my father. Um, maybe at the behest of my career, I should maybe should have bounced around a bit more. And then, um, I guess I'm just going to transition to whatever things I've done here. Uh, I decided uh, when Mind Leaders was, was running its course, uh, I reached out to our largest um, uh, client, and that is um, Barclays Bank. So um, I should actually back up about four and a half years. Four and a half years prior to the, uh, me leaving Mind Leaders, we were purchased by an Irish company. So I worked... Um, had an office in Columbus, Ohio, and I had an office in Dublin, Ireland. So I had to commute every once in a while to Ireland and deal with the, the global. And then I liked having global experience on my resume. And when I, the My Leaders thing was transitioning, they sold, My Leaders was sold to our largest competitor, Skillsoft. Um, I contacted Barclays Bank, and they were, um, I said that I would be coming on the market, and would they be interested in hiring me? And they did. I ended up being the senior VP of uh, small business banking innovation. We had a little spin-off company from Barclays called BCSG. Um, it was a great experience, you know, worked out of London. Um, London is a fantastic town to go to on somebody else's credit card. So that was a... <laughs> yeah, here it's a, nice but expensive. It's very expensive. But I learned, you know, th those years that I should have bounced around were condensed down into this these learning times when I got to work overseas and I see how things were done differently and especially the the banking industry and the financial industry out of the UK where they have massive amounts of regulations like any uh, financial market but um, 
they take pride in doing things perfectly. So your, your emails have to be perfect. Your internal do documentation has to be perfect. Everything is perfect. So it sort of rubbed off on me as me being the stupid American, just kind of going over and doing what I would typically do. I had to change my game and significantly and, and be very much more on point every time I spoke. Now, I don't, I don't want to dive uh, too much into detail on that, I guess, because I want to get mm -hmm. you know more into sure. your story. But I am interested, where do you think from your experiences that that meticulous attention to detail is derived from? Do you think it's like a greater appreciation for um, their jobs they have over there? Or? Yeah, that's a very good question. I, I, part of it is um, th there is a bit of a class system still uh, in the UK, especially in the banking industry. And the top of the chain expects at a higher level, and it's kind of pulling everybody with them. Okay, if you're going to interact with me, you're going to have to interact with me on a level that's almost even above what you would normally do. Well, so, i give you an example. Um, I'm, I was in charge of one division of Barclays that was on the American soil. There's three divisions. There was small business banking innovation, there was um, wealth management, and there was the Barclays card. And um, so when I first got here, I was the only person. And I would send stuff over, but you know, I would send things over for review, just double check my work before I would send it out to the client. And then I would get an email back from my boss going, and there was a typo, and you can't send me things with typos. And I'm like, I sent it to you to make sure that I didn't get a typo to go out. So I had to have another review process installed before I even sent things over for review. So, um, now I've become quite a procedures guy. <laughs> yeah, my response has been, great work, you caught the dipole. <laughs> yeah. you, you did a very good job. No, right, like, you thanks. have done well. Like yeah. But, yeah. I mean, so did you, I mean, I heard, I, I was telling Josh about this the other day, but there's a story about, I think it's just different over there, mm -hmm. but one of their uh, lords, right, so the lords, mm -hmm. um, parliament, in parliament, he, he showed up late and someone had asked him a question while he wasn't there, and he immediately tendered his resignation on the floor of parliament and said, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, everybody. I should never have done this. It was complete dishonor, and I'm quitting, effective immediately. And he walked out, and like everyone's like, you know, the the British lords, how they do, like, rah, 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 rah. I'm like, no, don't do that. Imagine if that was happening here. Right. It, you it know what? It'd be like that's the craziest thing that ever happened. Right. Right. It. Um, again, it was a it was a crucible of learning that I didn't expect, and I think the outcomes of that actually have helped me more than anything else, and and it bled into Aportis and my decision to go this way go this round. So, I mean, an amazing experience to be able to do something global before mm -hmm. you got your MBA, right? Mm -hmm. And, I mean, that's something No, I got, that, I got my MBA before I went global. Oh, before you went global. Yeah. I was going to say, because mm -hmm. that's a job that most people getting an MBA would dream of landing, yeah. you know, post-MBA. Right. So maybe let's take a quick step back, talk about your application work, and obviously if your dad went yeah. there, yes. um, that probably gave you a little bit more confidence applying again, but I mean, yeah. probably the most prestigious business school in the world right now. Yeah, um, uh, so mine is really an, an EMBA, it's an executive MBA. Um, I went to the Amnesty uh, School of Sales and Marketing, and that was my focus, was marketing and marketing analytics. So analytics became, you know, the buzzword in their early 2000s. Connecting marketing initiatives to actual revenue has always been the, um, I don't know, the question mark, and they hit you with it as a marketing leader, and they go, okay, well, you're going to really assure me and that this is going to create this amount of revenue. And, and in business to business, which I've always been, um, it gets murky. You know, you're doing some things that um, you know you need to layer on, and you need to do this to help support this, to support this, that will lead to eyeballs being seen. 
But to connect all those dots, they've come up with a lot of analytics, and and Morton was the leading front of that, and that's where I wanted to be. And it was very much a personal journey. I don't really talk about it that much. I don't tell, I, you know, I rarely tell anybody that I have it. It's more of um, I did it for my dad. Um, he was a big proponent of it, and I just sort of did it just to kind of finish those connecting dots to my father. Yeah, that's great. Um, so maybe let's follow that into your time finishing up with um, your global experience and kind of yeah. how that wrapped into what you're doing now. Right. So um, one of the products, uh, the main product that we had at BCSG and Barclays was a platform for the small business banking clients to allow them to survive and thrive in any sort of market. You would have pay an extra $25 a month and you were able to create websites, do a live business plan. All these little pieces, parts have e-learning attached to it, have uh, accounting software attached to it. So you'd have one single source login and you would have access to software that might cost you a ton more per each application. But Barclays would use its um, um, power of reach, and you know we would we, we need thirty thousand units. We don't need one, so we drive the price right down. And so that got me thinking. And, and definitely, I love the idea of enterprise software. We're going to get touch everybody. I like the monthly subscription service, and um, I like to help people make change. And the idea of helping small business owners was great. And then I had this idea that I started formulating and I started quietly testing on my own. And it ticked off the boxes of not only I think it's going to be successful, but it aligned to a lot of the successes that we had at Barclays. And if, um, if, and if things hold true, which I hope, um, it'll actually be quite successful for Portis. You have the business model and you have the product. That's, uh, so. Yeah, and, and what is uh, Portis's goal? So, I mean, we talked about yeah. it earlier about, you know, helping people with their diet, helping people with nutrition, right. but uh, who is the target market for Portis <laughs> and, sure. and what exactly is it? So it's, um, it's a health and wellness platform that would be delivered by corporations or hospitals, small hospitals typically, that they have a health and wellness outreach program. And there's already platforms out there. there you know, there's the Vitality from John Hancock, there's other Well Steps, there's a bunch of them out there. Um, but as a marketing person, especially designing products, you want to take a look at a market and see um, one of there's a current leader. And this is a very fractured market. And for a fractured market, I thrive in fractured markets because there's no true leader that's come out of it yet. So when I see a disbursement across multiple platforms, all in the single to barely double digits, I know there's an opportunity. And um, our platform will be... Uh, Again, health and wellness platform, it's going to connect to Fitbits, it's going to give you physician-curated content based upon whatever health issues you're dealing with or whatever health wellness goals you're working towards. And, and it's designed for the user, not for the HR department at that company. So the typical version one platforms that are currently out there that we're compete, we'll be competing against are record-keeping platforms. You know, they want to keep, okay, fill out your health assessment, let's make sure you do your biometrics, uh, and then good on you, we'll give you a gift card and move on. And we can do all that, but uh, the other pieces of secret sauce is we have a telemedicine platform that's embedded into it. So you as a user now have 
access to nutritionists, workout people, grief counselors if needed, financial coaches, um, anything that you can do that you're looking towards in the wellness goal, you can now have a live one-to-one -one conversation. And then you have somebody that's actually working with you to make substantive change. And all these health and wellness platforms, they're all saying that they're going to try to make a change, a behavioral uh, and or, or whatever, you know, whether it be your weight, whether it be your, you know, your diet, your exercise, your whatever. But if, if you don't have this accountability, you don't add in a, somebody that's, your, that's in your corner with you, um, it really is very difficult. And, and the, the, what they say that they do, they actually don't do. So very few people actually use them, and very f even fewer people get something out of those current platforms. So our goal is to go in there and be actually focused on the user. So it sounds like you took your Barclays experience just to kind of wrap things up and package it in my mind, and you yeah. took that platform concept, you realized that you could plug it into these different companies, provide them with a really essential value-adding tool where they could have a full suite of health and wellness products, and then as you're end goal to be the, the bottom platform like you described and have other people build products on top of it then? You, you hit it right on the head. And um, when a platform, an enterprise platform works best if you have strategic partners that have each bring a piece of value. So uh, the I partner with a female-run wellness coaching company that's based here out of Columbus called the Wellness Collective. And they are my back-end coaches. They cover a gamut of coaches across the United States and uh, of, of topics, and, but they can handle anything that we dish to them currently. And they already have a, an embedded client list. So my go-to-market strategy is, um, one, first thing I'm going to do is go right down their embedded client list and sell them the platform because they've already had success with the, the coaches. They love the Wellness Collective, and they're going to love this little addition now that kind of holds and ties everything together. And then from that, I can then go out and broaden out to, um, uh, you know, other companies. And we've already are starting to sign pilots that are outside of the Wellness Collective circle of influence. And then um, we just got back f uh, in November. I was overseas, um, you know, talking about Aportis. And we've had so much traction overseas that actually we have an agent in an office in Barcelona so uh, it's being a startup, we're already kind of, I'm throwing all the chips in. That's awesome. So one thing, <clears throat> we've talked about platform companies a lot um, mm -hmm. in a few of my classes that I'm taking, and one of the hardest traction points is if you're going B2C is getting all the C's involved because mm -hmm. obviously the more you have, the more value right. you provide. But for you, it's more or less getting B2Bs involved. Right. But it almost seems like if you get one, let's talk about one big business on the platform, you get multiple plugins, it's nothing... Nothing too strenuous for those multiple plugins to jump on, you know, and right. it just seems like it seems like you've kind of broken down the barrier of what makes a platform company hard and kind of created it pretty easy. I, I, well, thank you. Um, I'm, I'll take credit for that, too. Uh, I guess I guess I, you that, have to be turned, uh, but I have faith. Really, I have faith. I have faith, too, because I've seen it in action. And, um, and it really is, the, I think, the secret is making sure you bring partners along with the process that each bring value. And each of those partners then will take a look at the platform and say, well, wait a minute, do we want to offer this now upstream in our package? So the telemedicine company that I partner with and that I'm kind of a franchise owner of are excited about my platform. And now they want me to show their platform to all of their franchisee owners. So now that allows, if possible, each one of these franchisee owners 
will then take it to their um, client list. So, you know, am I looking to build a thousand salespeople? No. In reality, my platform can be easily white labeled, um, can be translated in any language uh, pretty quickly with min minimum input, um, and then get it to in front of uh, a group that's passionate about their customer base, and then they can sell it to their customer base. And then, you know, we don't need to make 80%, you know, if I get, if our Portis gets 20% of a passionate partner, we'll be, we'll be fine. Yeah, and I think, you know, that, that tailor fitting, you know, you mentioned it can easily be white labeled, easily be customized into a different language. I think that's key in today's mm -hmm. industries yeah. because that's what everyone's looking for. Nobody wants, you know, one size fits all. It's got to be, hey, this is exactly what I'm looking for. That's a good fit for my people. Right. And um, how long has Aportis been around now? <laughs> so the um, November of uh, 2014, I, had the, I was still working, and I just had to decide. I had this idea. It was a little different. It, was a little, uh, it, um, it had a couple pieces, parts that were different, and I was and it was to a different market. It was going to be health only, working with um, uh, electronic record systems, and then it would be that go between for like, say, you have a difficult conversation with your doctor. You've had high blood pressure. You haven't taken care of it. Guess what? Now you're a type two diabetic. Here's a script. We want to follow up in three months on your blood work. Da 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 da. And you leave that office and you sit there going, holy camoly, what just happened to me here? And the panic. And then you have to, then you, you know, they're going to send you home with some documentation, but you're going to do some web searches. And, you know, I love the internet and all, but you, you start searching on the internet, you can, get, you can go down some strange paths. It's a scary place whenever you're <laughs> sick, man. The internet is like the worst place to go when you're sick. Right. Like it's just, everything's right. cancer. Exactly. Sooner or later, yeah, my face is going to fall off or right. something. Um, so the idea was, Partnering with, um, I partner with the largest publisher in the world, and they provide the pretty much everything that goes into universities, hospital systems, and all that. So, when you take, when you sign into a Portis for the first time, it's going to ask you to, to fill out your health assessment. In the version one platforms, the ones we compete against, you fill this like PDF out, and you either email or there's even one that you have to fax to a phone number. Right, great. The technology of faxing. And send some pigeons. <laughs> yeah. Drop some mail letters. How many letters? people still have a fax? I don't. I, Nobody I, that I want to be friends with. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so what ours is, it, it's sort of built into the system. And um, the other secret sauce to platform build is it has to be engaging. If you're just going to hang meat from a hook, sooner or later it gets it's just undervalued. So um, the idea of personalizing it to the end user to the tightest degree that you can will drive usage, which drives value to the partner, which keeps them engaged, and then gets them to selling. So you fill out the health assessment, and as you're doing this, the actual platform itself starts morphing and personalizing just to you. So it, it, you know, it has, we use an assessment that has been vetted by physicians and sort of the standard one. I think it's like 38 questions, I believe. And from those 38 questions, you start delving into some health issues. And then we also go into, what, you know, some, what are your objectives? What do you want to do? Do you, you know, is there, do you want to be, sleep better, reduce stress, you know, be fi more financially secure, um, anything, eat better. Uh, then 
uh, after you finish out the assessment, all of a sudden the platform looks totally different. It's starting to pull in this vetted content and we have a library system so it can be self-service and it looks like Netflix. It says, you know, what are your you know, issues and it has them by band, just like Netflix and it has content across and we have articles, we have e-learning, we have videos that will help each, one, each person on each one of those items. And having it look like Netflix was a big thing for me too, just for the fact that, again, it should be ease of use. You know, why do we teach a lot of interface? And then you have, uh, you, like any health system or any health wellness, you might have to do a biometrics. So we'll send in the nurses and they get the blood work, and that goes in. And then you start, the coach can then see this work with you. And it's all HIPAA compliant. So we have a HIPAA compliant backend. Um, and we can interface, if need be, with other record systems. So if we do a hospital installation, they might use Epic, which is a massive um, medical record system. It, ours can actually interface, so notes taken in ours can be passed through and connected to the person. Yeah, the user interface and user experience that you talked about, right now it's where a lot of companies are differentiating themselves, but I think in the next 15 years it's not... It's not going to be a differentiator. It's either you're a company that has, you know, the user right. interface or you don't and, right. and you fail or succeed. But I'm curious to hear, I mean, it sounds like you guys have, you're very sophisticated and, and pretty far along if you have APIs built on the back end where you connect with these enterprise systems. Um, you have a fully working platform people actually plug it into already that has yeah. obviously, you know, e-learning inside of it or e-learning, yep. not, not mm -hmm. a good word, but artificial intelligence, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. um, so... How many, where are you guys at as a company, I guess? How many employees? Sure. Um, and then whatever numbers you feel like talking right. about. Right. We're actually quite small. And we're, um, I would still say we're the startup, but we're just like a startup plus. I mean, we are, you talk to anybody that's working with us and it's just like, it's just so close. Everything is just right there. We're about ready to grab it. Um, we have three uh, people, including myself, um, uh, Jamie McKee, my COO, who's my, um, and uh for anybody out there that's trying to do a startup or anything, the, the biggest thing is surround yourself with people that can actually bring value, that you trust. And you know, Jamie was a guy that I reached out to because I knew him and I knew what he, his capabilities are and I knew what his character was. So I brought him involved and he was a, he's able to go on this journey with me. And then we have a salesperson down in um, Dallas-Fort Worth area that's connected to a lot of medical clinics and things down in that area. We have the agent over in Spain and then I'm going to be quickly adding in some interns. And um, because we have these pilot programs happening, and I know I'm not allowed to pitch for funding, um, but we have so much going to happen here within the next two months that I'm actually going for funding to ramp up um, um, staff to handle it all. What was Jamie's background? Jamie has uh, Jamie ba is, has been was running. <laughs> he was the operations manager for like this massive turkey farm the internet they ship turkeys internationally everywhere it was out of west virginia and he got his mba here in franklin um he uh and his wife and family moved to lewisburg virginia and um i lured lured him back <laughs> to the columbus mothership so yeah, and so uh, what I'm curious about is, you know, right now it sounds like you've got a you know a great vision for your product and a great team put together. Mm -hmm. And what do you anticipate being the, the biggest challenges for Aportis in the next three to five years? Sure, I, I I think I think we're in that challenge. Or one of the biggest challenges we're currently having right now is it's that um, the, certainly cash flow. You know, we're 
we're taking on some big pilots and some big clients, and we understand that I do certain billings, and, you know, I'll ask, certainly ask for net 30, and I'm going to get net 120. So for a, a company of our size, I mean, you're going to have to, you know, kind of roll up your sleeves and you're going to have to fund it yourself or, or, or find some additional funding. Um, I am not a serial entrepreneur. This is my first attempt. So I made a, an entrepreneurial mistake that is common, which is I thought I could bootstrap it all the way to a certain point, and I did. And now I realize, oh, my gosh, I'm going to need to staff up and do all these things. And um, so I, I need additional funding. Um, I think we might, if that doesn't work, I still think we can bootstrap it through just because of the stuff we have on paper. So. Where did you do all your development at? Just personal connections? Or? Um, we used a company here in Columbus. Uh, there is Zed Digital. I'll give them a shout out. Um, they are um, based out of Gahanna, Pickerington area. Uh, uh, easy to work with. They are typically are a web development. So the, our platform right now is very much a web app with, a, with an accompanying application to it. And um, I, I believe, and they're a frontage, and they certainly done most of the development overseas. So you, it's nice having somebody local that I can talk to. I mean, this is sort of like, it's like a daily thing for me now because we're so close that um, I can, you know, not yell, but deal with uh, Zed directly to see where I'm at and um, get it to the point where we, you know, it's really going to make an impact on our users. So it's a continuing partnership that you guys are continuing to yeah. forward with. Yeah, and and if they are, uh, um, you know, right now we're going to sign, we're working on some legal stuff agreements that um, if it all works out, certainly I would uh, continue with them. Um, so yeah, they've been they've been great. When you guys get funding, where do you envision those first hires coming in at? Um, implementation, customer success. So the other thing that I learned um, from my time overseas is we created these products for bankers and they were in the small business banking sector. So in the small business banking sector, the goal may not be just to help the small business banking person, but it's to convince the small business banking owner to move their personal checking accounts to the same bank. So if you do a great job for their business thing, you want them to grab, you want them to move their personal amount of money with them as well. So, um, my gosh, I forgot the question. I think I, I asked. Uh, I think Hires. I forgot it too. Hires like, and oh, right. where are you going to make them? Right. So <laughs> I'm sorry. So customer success, and this is actually so vital. Um, so we would create these products that um, might generate tens to hundreds of millions of dollars for a partner bank. You know, so like SunTrust was a, one of my partner banks. They took our product and white labeled the SunTrust um, business suite. And, but you're, you're raising 200 to 400 million maybe a year where they could issue a new card with a little bit of a different interest rate and they're going to make a billion dollars. So how do you cut through that noise to become a project that's actually viable and, and, and interesting enough for a bank to um, utilize it? So we had to make sure it was successful at the, every level. So we would actually embed implementation people in the call, um, call centers. And they would walk the floor. They would continually train and, and work with the people. And then also get, encourage them. You know, we'd have little games and things. We want them to sell our products when people called in. Because if they didn't, 
our, our you know, be, our, we, our product become undervalued to our banking institutions. So I've taken that idea and I want to have implementation people. I want to have, you know, we have a very big opportunity with a very big company here in Columbus, based out of Columbus, and I'm going to have somebody sitting in their lunchroom, you know, convincing each person to sign up and use this thing. And if we can show change, that is the absolute key. If we can create behavioral change, we're not going to get it 100%. I mean, I'm a realist, but the numbers are so low of what I'm competing against that if I can hit double digits, that double digits are starting to actually make some change. We bring the diabetic rate down within a corporation, which brings down their insurance rates. We make and we get anecdotal and um, um, anecdotal um, feedback. That's going to be massive to that company. So. Implementation is where I'm really going to concentrate on. And then from there, I'm going to get a chief technologist to sort of oversee Gen 2 of this platform uh, and then sales, some salespeople. But so, yeah, so I think that's the friction point more than, right? So getting the people within the organization to buy in after you've gotten the organization on board. Right. It's not probably too much tension to get the organization to buy in. Right. Um, so are you a SaaS model then? or? Yeah, we are. And um, uh, they... It, but it depends on the implementation of the, the buyer. So they might want a white labeled version of their own, and then it becomes more of a top down, you know, thing. And by you know, I, w I don't want to name clients, but they could have their own version, and then it becomes that. Oh, great! We have another initiative that somebody's shoving down my throat that I got to deal with. Well, again, if I have somebody or some people there that ease the transition and actually using it and showing them the benefits, and getting them excited about it then our success rate will skyrocket. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the same issues that we face here. It's not just, um, I mean, we have more of the tension or friction on the selling point too, because we still have to get in the door but once we do, mm -hmm. even though we have an easy to use product, you know, the big end killer is the implementation. If you don't mm -hmm. get the users on the other end to buy in, then obviously procurements, these are paying for a system that nobody's using and right. you know, the thing kind of falls through. So it's interesting that you guys have taken that and implanted your own implementation person internally to assure success. Yeah. Which for you guys, even though you're paying that overhead, it's probably um, a lot more lucrative based on them keeping the software. So right. it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and, and that was that was the big aha moment that I had with Barclays. It was you know holy camoly. We got somebody actually, and we would work. We you know we would go to a client, uh, Fifth Third. Um, I'm sorry, and another, um, and say, listen, you know, part of the deal is we're going to have somebody that you don't pay for. We'll pay for him, but he's going to be or she will be in your call center working with your people constantly up you know teaching them encouraging them to get them to sell and make sure that our products were in the conversation at all times and then we had to go to the branches and all that so those implementation teams were big mine we don't need to be as big because it, once we get them into the system and they actually connect with a coach now they have somebody that's their advocate you know you want to do these things? Great. We're not going to judge you. We're going to help you, and you can do it privately. You know, it's the, you, everything that you do within a health and wellness system is not seen by HR and the company. You know, there's that barrier, but there's that coach who's not employed by HR, employed by us, that is helping you deal with that. So the more personal touches creates engagement. Engagement wins every time. Absolutely, and I think that's a great place to kind of start pivoting towards a couple of our. Final questions for the show, and the first one we kind of touched on it earlier, but sure. 
Uh, do you have any advice for our listeners out there? Number one, a lot of them are entrepreneurs, sure. but also a lot of young professionals out there maybe mm -hmm. thinking about business school mm -hmm. uh, and you know improving themselves professionally. Well, for any entrepreneur out there, um, and me being a first-timer, uh, I learned a lot. And probably the biggest lesson that I learned is everything takes longer than you expect it. I'm a planner, and I plan for all these things to sort of fall into place at certain times. And I got sidetracked, and I lost focus on my end goal. My sidetrack happened at a um, very, we'll just say, a very large institute, academic institution within, the, within Columbus, contacted me to take some technology of theirs um, commercial and it would interact with my product and we spent a year and a half dancing with them and in the end it just didn't work out and we had to walk away but that was a year and a half that took time away from my end goal so then when that kind of crumbled you, you sit there you know I, I kind of sat in my house for two months just scouring just like, oh my gosh, well, I what am I going to do? Because I got so wrapped up into the, the, the noise that I, at the end of two months, I just, wait a minute, this product is still viable. And I did a bit of a pivot. I got into the health and wellness based upon feedback. I started getting these calls out of the blue from a health and wellness company saying, man, we found your website. And if you can do this, but you, if you twist it just a little bit, man, this thing would be fantastic. So I started doing the research there. So it's patience is one, because it's going to be a long slog. And don't give up, you know. And um, I, a great piece of advice that I heard is, and I think I heard it in uh, some movie, was uh, the line, what do you do when you're backed into a corner? You go deeper in. So if you don't think you have a way out, but you've already invested in yourself and you believe in yourself, then just keep you know, take a little bit more time, might take a little bit more money, but sooner all uh, opportunities are going to start opening up. And then when those opportunities open up, then you can strike. Yeah, and I think our, our last question sure. for the show, and it focuses around the theme of conquering Columbus, which is live uncomfortably. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it means a lot to us. So without mm -hmm. telling you too much more about it, what do you think of the phrase and how does it apply to your life? I, I think it's um, stellar. When, and now that it's, that now that I am an entrepreneur, because, you know, I, I walked away from some pretty big jobs because I have faith in myself. I have faith in this idea. Um, and, and for anybody that's out there that's especially a young entrepreneur the, uh, or a young business person, it's, it's test, test, test. You know, before you start coding, before you start investing, make sure that the idea that you have has, you know, has some merit, um, has some opportunities uh, there's and there's just so many there's just so many support systems within Columbus that'll help you. I mean, I took this product to uh, it was Tech Columbus at the time. Then it, in the middle of uh, Concept Academy, it became Rev One. So you have something just here, just like Rev One, where you can take an idea, and after two weeks, you have some data that's actually viable, and then from that data, you can make some good decisions. Now, I was in a class of about eighty people and some of those ideas were just blindingly awful but they believed in it but the data they got back said this is not a viable product but they didn't look at they, they didn't trust the data and, and who knows where they are at this point I don't think I've ever heard anything but it, you know again I'm a, I'm a believer in pro, um, having a plan and data inputs are 
important to me. So we tested back on, you know, we had good data. Keep moving forward. Keep testing, testing, testing. Definitely. And Philip, I think that's a great place to wrap up the show. We, we really appreciate you coming on here to join us. Thank you very much for having me. This has been wonderful. Hopefully uh, people get value out of it. Definitely. And Conquerors, thanks for listening. That was Philip Payne, of the founder of Aportis. And we will talk to you guys next week. If you guys enjoyed that episode, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitchers, whatever your favorite podcast app is. And go ahead and click that subscribe button. It'll make sure you never miss another episode of Conquering Columbus. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to say thanks to all of our incredible sponsors one more time. Conquering Columbus is brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. And for more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them, there's a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. You can drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.